Good evening, everybody, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. You know, one of the greatest pleasures that I have uh, that goes along with my calling, with my job, and that is studying and teaching God's Word. So uh, I look forward to, to doing this every week. I would normally be doing it in person in our sanctuary, but we're not quite there yet. But I still love to be able to uh, dig into God's Word and teach it by whatever means are necessary. And uh, for those of you that have not been joining us, we are going through uh, the book of 1 Timothy and uh, look forward to getting into that, completing chapter 3 uh, tonight. Uh, but before we get started, uh, I just want to encourage everyone, if you have uh, a prayer request on your heart, uh, please don't hesitate to uh Text me, call me, uh, send a message through our Facebook page. Either way, uh, and we'll be sure to pray for them. Uh, but before we get started, I want to uh, open us in a word of prayer before we get into these verses here in First Timothy tonight. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. Father, we're thankful for your love and your goodness and your mercy. Lord, I can't thank you enough for those things. God, I'm thankful for your provision, Father, for uh, making it possible for us to reach people by any means necessary with your gospel, Lord, with your word. God, I pray for each and every one tonight that is, uh, will be viewing this. Lord, I pray that you would bless them in a mighty way. Father, that you would open their mind and open their heart to receive what your word has to say to them. God, I pray that you bless our time together. Father, I pray that everything uh, that I say or do, Lord, would bring honor and glory to thy name. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Uh, for those of you that have been keeping up with us, uh, we're going to be in the last <clears throat> excuse me, uh, three verses of the book of 1 Timothy. And uh, today, in these three verses, Paul is going to basically give us uh, his reason for writing this letter to Timothy in the first place. Uh, the three verses that we're going to look at tonight, uh, they begin to mark a transition point uh, between the positive instruction that we've been going through, that we've been studying, in the first three chapters of the book of 1 Timothy, and the warnings of the last three. Uh, and they're going to reveal uh, the heart of the church's mission. Uh, that's very important. Uh, we need to know as a body of believers, we need to know what our mission is, what, uh, what the Lord has instructed us to do. Uh, he's going to reveal the heart of that mission in verse 15. And he's going to also reveal uh, the core of what the church's message should be uh, in verse 16. But what I'm going to do tonight, we're just going to read three verses, uh, verses 14 through 16 of chapter 3 of the book of 1 Timothy. Then we're going to back up and we're going to talk about uh, the verses, some of the phrasing, some of the words that uh, Paul uses in this letter. So let's read these three verses here, uh, beginning in verse 14. Starts off like this. He says, These things I write to you, 
though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the house of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Now let's back up. Uh, verse 15, uh, uh, excuse me, verse 14, uh, where he uses this phrase, I hope to come to you shortly. Uh, now the Greek grammar from the original Greek uh, manuscript suggests Paul's meaning is this, these things I write, although I hope to come to you sooner. Now what was, uh, Paul is apparently away, uh, and it is his hope that he had been uh, in contact face-to-face -face with Timothy sooner. So what was Paul doing uh, that delayed him? Well, we got to remember, uh, those of you may or may not remember, as we studied the book of Acts, uh, after Paul was released from prison, at the end of Acts, he was in prison in Rome at the end of the book of Acts. And after he was released, he began to visit uh, cities that he had ministered in uh, prior to his imprisonment. And those visits, that tour, if you will, uh, would eventually include Ephesus, which is the town uh, in which uh, young Timothy was charged with being a pastor. The town of Ephesus, actually, it was a city. It was a large city, and there was a church there. There was a unified body of believers there, and Timothy was the pastor. Now, this particular body of believers, this church here in Ephesus uh, at this time, uh, it was riddled with false teaching. It was riddled with materialism. It was riddled with disorder within uh, the worship. And they were in need of qualified leadership. Paul, he was in Macedonia at this time, doing what Paul does. Uh, Paul is uh, traveling to these cities, and he is preaching, and he is teaching, and uh, sharing the gospel with people. He is edifying and exhorting, encouraging uh, the church is there, the body of believers. And he is in Macedonia, but he is recognizing the urgency of the situation that Timothy is facing here within the church in Ephesus. He knew he couldn't get there fast enough. Uh, so he sends Timothy this letter that we've been studying the last few weeks. So he's hoping that he can come to him shortly. He's hoping or wishing rather that he had been there sooner. So let's look here in verse 15. That's uh, the reason why he said these things in verse 14. Verse 15, he says, uh, but, I, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself. How we ought to behave is what he's saying uh, as a member of the body of Christ, as a member of the church. Uh, and the truth and the authority of Paul's letter here uh, sets things right in the church in Ephesus, as well as it should set things right 
within our own churches because the truth of this doctrine transcends the centuries. It is uh, the same as it is to, uh, then as it is today. When he says how we ought to conduct ourselves within the house of God. Now let's think about that phrase there, those three letters, the house of God. Now this is uh, better translated as the household of God. Uh, he's not talking about uh, a physical uh, building. He's talking about the body of Christ, the household of God. He's talking about the household of God here in Ephesus. He is also talking about us. He is talking about uh, this household, our own churches today. Believers are members of God's household, and we must act accordingly. Uh, I don't know if my son, sons will watch this or not, uh, but I tell my kids all the time that uh, not only are they representing Christ when they're out in the world with their friends and, and so forth and so on, but they're also representing my house, uh, the James household, and they need to be held uh, to a high standard. Uh, well, Paul here, uh, Paul says that we are the church of the living God. Uh, we are part of uh, the household of God. We are the church of, that word of is very important. We are the church of the living God. It means that the church is God's possession. We belong to him. The title living God, um, when we hear that word uh, living God, it has a rich Old Testament heritage. It is used many times in the Old Testament. And it means he's alive. Uh, this city here, Ephesus, uh, was rife with um, idol worship. Uh, this this idea of idol worship goes back centuries. Uh, people would worship an image, uh, a statue, what have you, whatever it is. Uh, Paul's words here uh, express the truth that our God is alive. We belong to a God that is alive, the God, the living God. Paul goes on to say uh, in this verse, uh, in verse 15 here, he's going to conclude verse 15 by talking about uh, the pillar and ground of truth. Um, pillar, when we think about that word, he is uh, referring to the church here. The church is the pillar and ground of truth. And Paul's imagery, as I mentioned earlier about the idol worship that went on here in Ephesus. And Paul's imagery right here could perhaps be referring to the uh, magnificent temple that was built there in Ephesus to Diana, uh, a Greek god, uh, which is supported. Uh, this temple was magnificent. It was huge, uh, and it was supported. It was held up by 127 gold-plated marble pillars. He uses the word ground here, and the Greek word from the original Greek manuscript uh, manuscript uh, translated to the English word ground appears only here. 
only right here in the New Testament. And it denotes, it, it refers to the foundation on which a building rests. Now, Paul, when he talks about the church right here, he's referring to the body of Christ. He's referring to the actual people, the church. The church is to be that pillar. The church is to be the one that upholds the truth of God's revealed word. This is our mission. As the church, we're supposed to uphold the truth of God's word. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, what is that message? We know what our mission is, according to uh, this letter right here. Our mission is to uphold the truth of God's word. Well, what is the message? That message is the truth uh, that he uses right here, the pillar and ground of the truth. Well, the truth is the content of the Christian faith recording in Scripture. Paul is going to sum up that truth. He's going to tell us what it is here in verse 16. Now, I'm pretty sure many of you can guess what that truth is, but that's the thing about God's Word. It doesn't leave it uh, leave, leave it up to us to guess. He's going to tell us here in verse 16. Verse 16 begins like this. It says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Now, verse 16 here, after he uh, begins his statement here in verse 16, it contains part of an early church hymn. And I like that. Being a singer, I like that. Uh, how do you know that, preacher? Well, it contains uh, the uniformity, it contains uh, the rhythm, and it contains uh, the parallelism, parallelism that would indicate such. And these six lines within this early church hymn uh, form a concise summary of the truth of the gospel. So let's let's look at it right here, this truth of the gospel that they have right here. He starts off by using, uh, in the first part of this verse, before they start with the hymn itself, he starts off using the mystery of godliness. Now we talked about a little bit about mystery uh, back in uh, verse 9. Now, mystery is a term that Paul uh, uses to indicate a truth uh, that is hidden or not physically seen in the Old Testament, but is revealed in the New Testament. So that's our mystery. Uh, it, is, it is not a mystery in the sense that we think we don't know about it because it's all right here in God's Word, but it was a mystery in the Old Testament because God hadn't revealed it yet. It has come to fruition now in the New Testament. That's why he refers to it as mystery. Now, when he uses the word godliness, excuse me, the mystery of godliness, godliness refers to the truths of salvation and the righteousness in Christ. And this is what produces holiness in believers. The manifestation of true and perfect righteousness in Jesus Christ. 
we always got to remember that true righteousness and true salvations, uh, true salvation comes not from works, but only through Christ Jesus. And that is uh, this mystery of godliness that he's talking about right here. He goes on to say in the first line of this hymn, if you will, God was manifested. Now, the older uh, Greek manuscripts of this letter, some say uh, the better manuscripts of this letter, uh, older than uh, the Greek manuscripts used to translate the New King James Version that I'm reading from, uh, I wanted you to know this because some of you may be reading from a different translation. But the older Greek uh, manuscripts use the phrase, he who, instead of God. So it would probably read, he who was manifested in the flesh, depending on what translation you have. It doesn't matter. Because in either case, the reference is clearly to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who he's talking about right here. He who was manifested in the flesh. Who was manifested in the flesh? Jesus Christ. God was a physical manifestation. Uh, Jesus was a physical manifestation of God here on earth. Jesus who manifested the invisible God. We can't see him. He was manifested to mankind in Jesus, in Jesus, the one we read about, the one that physically walked on this earth. In Jesus, God is revealed in the flesh. That's what he says here, manifested in the flesh. Now, when he uses that word flesh right there, this is not the uh, sinful, uh, the fallen human nature but it is merely human. God became man. Scripture tells us that. The next line here, it says, justified in the spirit. Now remember here, Paul is talking about Jesus. All these lines are referring to Jesus. Now justified means righteous. Righteous in the spirit. So when we think about that, we're thinking about he's talking about Jesus. So let's read that that way. Righteous in the spirit. He's talking about Jesus. So that the spirit here, uh, as we read it, it may be written with a lowercase s. We all know when we read that, when we see a capital letter in front of spirit, it's referring to the Holy Spirit. But we're already talking about Jesus. So it may be written with a lowercase s. Your translation may have it written that way. And it indicates a uh, declaration of Christ's uh, sinless spiritual righteousness. Or it could refer to his uh, vindication, uh, his proof that he is who he says he is by the Holy Spirit. Either way is right. Let's look at the next line here he has. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, and seen by angels. Now, we all know that there are, uh, actually there are a lot of different types of angels, but for this discussion's sake, uh, sake uh, there are both fallen angels 
demons, uh, as well as elect angels, those that are in heaven with the Lord. Well, how do you know he's talking about fallen angels? Well, they would have seen it as well. In, in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 15, it said uh, that Jesus, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Uh, in the book of James, it's uh, the word says that uh, they all know who he is and they tremble at the thought of it. So they know who he is. He's been seen by angels, those below, those above. He says he was preached among the Gentiles or among the nations. Always remember when scripture refers to Gentiles, it's talking about nations of people who are not Jewish. So he was preached among the Gentiles. He was preached among the nations. Jesus said uh, the gospel will be preached in all of the world. It will be a witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. He said these words in uh, Matthew chapter 24. Jesus went on to uh, say right before he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, he told us, he was telling the disciples, but the same truth applies to us today, that we are to be a witness to the end of the earth. And when we are a witness to all nations and when we are a witness to the end of the earth, it means that he has preached among all nations. He has preached among the Gentiles. Finally, it says here, believed in all the world and received up in glory. Paul is going to conclude uh, this thought this chapter 3 with the phrase received up in glory. Now he's referring to Jesus right here. We all know that Jesus was received uh, back up to the Father. He went back to heaven after his resurrection. Now to get a, a really uh, clear grasp uh, of this and the significance of this because he felt it uh, important enough to include here. God being manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, all nations, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. So that's an important part of uh, what, what our message is, what we as the church should be preaching. That should be an important part of it. And I want to share something with you. This has always uh, been one of my favorite verses of Scripture. And I want to read it to you. It's found in Philippians chapter 2. And I want to read uh, four verses here in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. He's talking about Jesus right here. He said, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. I believe that includes everybody and that every tongue should confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He's talking about uh, an event as he gets down here towards the end of that passage of Scripture. He's talking about uh, an event that will happen, and it will happen because Christ has already been ascended back to the Father and is an, in an exalted position. So that is very important that he has been ascended and that he is exalted because it says there that every knee is going to bow. Everyone in heaven, everyone on earth, everyone under the earth is going to bow and they're going to confess him as Lord. You see, Christ's ascension and his exaltation uh, being at the right hand of the Father it showed that God was pleased with him. And God had accepted his work, what he did here while he was on this earth, uh, his death on the cross and his resurrection. In everything that he taught, God accepted his work fully. Now, we're going to stop here tonight because Paul uh, is going to, he's given us our mission He's given us our message, uh, what we are supposed to do. We are to uphold the truth. He's given us the truth. This is our message. This is our mission. Next week, he's going to begin to talk about uh, false teachers uh, and the great apostasy uh, as we begin chapter 4. But I want to stop right here because he, he, um, he's going he's to change what we're going to be talking about in chapter 4. Uh, I hope you have uh, enjoyed uh, going through these three verses with me tonight. I pray that the Lord has uh, fed you with it. Uh, I pray that he continues to open uh, your mind to his word. That way your mind can be renewed. We're taught uh, we, we, we've got to be renewed. Our mind has got to be renewed. It's got to be renewed by his word as a believer. So uh, good to be with you all tonight. Please come back and join us uh, next week as we start chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. And always remember, if you do not have a home church, um, please come join us here in Atlanta. We have uh, worship service begins at 10 o'clock. Uh, we have our worship service in our Family Life Center right now. If you still don't feel comfortable coming in, we broadcast the service. On 97.9, you can pull up in the parking lot, tune to 97.9 and worship with us there. Y'all have a great rest of, rest of your week. Good night. God bless you.